Fishkill, New York. Located in the southeastern part of the state in Dutchess County, it is home to 25,000 residents and is about 60 miles north of Manhattan. Known as the crossroads of American colonies, it served as a focal point of transportation in the 1700s and 1800s. Fishkill was a central stop along the King's Highway, which connected Albany to New York City, and it intersected with a major overland route from the Hudson River to New England. Originally called the place where two rivers meet by the Wappinger tribe that settled there, Dutch immigrants later purchased the land in 1683. The name of the town evolved from two Dutch words, vis meaning fish, and kill, which translates to stream or creek. In addition to being a transportation hub, Fishkill was also an important location in our country's early history. The town was the capital of New York from 1776 to 1777, and was home to the state's first post office. Fishkill played a crucial role in the Revolutionary War, serving as the main supply depot for the Northern Department of the Continental Army. Mount Beacon, the highest peak along the Hudson Highlands in Fishkill, was used by the Continental Army to light signal fires that relayed communications during the war. Today, Fishkill is a town built on tourism, as well as on businesses large and small, including industries like medical care and retail. And during the Labor Day weekend of 2019, the town became home to a group of 80 collectors for a Star Wars collector-themed event known as the Annual. This is a look back at the annual 2019 and how the idea for a local club event turned into something that resonated far beyond its reach. This is a window into that weekend from those who experienced it firsthand. This is the first part in a multi-episode series covering one of the greatest and most meaningful collector weekends of all time. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Some ideas start with a spark of inspiration. The annual began with ICE. Not ICE as in frozen water, but an acronym. ICE, the I-C-E, stood for the International Collector's Event, a Star Wars-themed meetup held every two or three years in a different region of the country. 
Collectors who live in that designated region graciously open their homes for tours of their collections, and collectors from all over the world travel to that area for the event. In addition to viewing collections, attendees also partake in group outings to areas and functions unique to that region. Over the past decade, ice weekends have occurred in places like Seattle and in the Washington, D.C. area. Due to the fact that attendees would visit collectors' homes, the events have been invite-only affairs and kept to a smaller group of collectors. And when it came time to choose the location of the next ICE weekend, the committee in charge selected New York. After all, in addition to many longtime collectors living in the state, New York offered many places for tourists to see, all within a few hours' drive. During the Labor Day weekend of 2018, approximately 130 collectors met up at a hotel in Long Island for NICE, the New York Collector's Event. We also traveled out to the town of Newburgh for a boat trip and a tour of Ron Salvatore's collection, then to Queens for a day at the home of Yehuda Kleinman, and ended the event with a meetup at Paul Chu's apartment in Manhattan. For NICE, the ICE Committee recruited a number of members of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club to help plan the weekend. The Empire Group learned a lot from that event. Here's Ron to explain how the idea for the annual came to fruition. Um, the annual was uh, first thought of by Chris Riley and Steph Riley as a, an opportunity to do a annual. That's the, that's the key to the name. An annual event uh, for the Empire State Collecting Club that was kind of like a, a party in a hall, you know, a rented, uh, a rented space. And the inspiration they had from that was a... Uh, uh, related to our New York event that we did in 2018, a uh, New York collecting event where we did, uh, we were forced to rent a hall because uh, we had some unforeseen circumstances at someone's house. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like a focused party slash mini convention um, centered around collecting uh, that happens for a day, but then we build in some other um, events on other days but you know that was the original idea and and, you know they worked on it with me from the start and this is our our second year doing it because we've had a several years lapse due to covid so we're, we're working on our second annual uh 2022 at this point ron contacted me in the months leading up to the annual He mentioned that the Saturday of the event would take place in a hotel's banquet hall and would feature a series of panels by our fellow collectors. And he asked me if I wanted to do a live podcast from the annual that day. The Prototypes in Production podcast had existed for only a few months by that point, and I was honored to participate in my club's inaugural event. My segment was scheduled to run at the very beginning of that afternoon, as attendees would be arriving at the ballroom. From the way he presented it to me, it appeared the panel would be a casual and introductory segment that would largely take place in the background. As the event began, I would offer live commentary on the weekend thus far, as well as what was happening at that moment, and would speak with some of the attendees. But in my mind, I saw it as a larger opportunity to mirror what I try to do with the podcast, which is to tell a connective Star Wars-themed story. 
I imagined it instead as a traditional panel, one where I could explore a segment of our hobby following the themes of some of my early episodes. Finding a topic on which to speak was tricky. After all, many of the attendees were the ones who brought to light the research and information that we have today. I didn't want to regurgitate the same topics that our friends had explored in panels for celebration and within collecting websites, or on something like the history of Star Wars 12 back-carded figures, which many already knew. Instead, I wanted to go beyond the simple idea of a live podcast panel and deliver something that would resonate with everyone there. I had wanted to shine a light on a topic previously unexplored, and to do so in an interesting and meaningful way. I saw it as a challenge, and wanted to produce something special that would match what people like Chris, Steph, Ron, Yehuda, Jason, and the rest of our club were planning for all of us. And that's when it hit me. The topic would not be about a Star Wars figure or a find, but would be about our friends. At an event that celebrated the Empire State Club, my podcast panel would cover the history of our club, how it started as an idea between two collectors and transformed into an exciting and creative endeavor that resonated with hundreds of members across the globe. And my role would be to tell that story and to invite a spectrum of members who have had a hand in the club's success to join me during that panel. I worked on the script for the panel during my daily commutes to and from Manhattan. And on some Saturday summer evenings, I'd find myself at a table of my local coffee shop, chipping away at this grand and exciting story, trying to unearth the shared feelings and experiences brought on by the club over the years. For a long time, I felt as if I were holding on to a really amazing secret. My friends who agreed to take part in the live panel had some idea of how they would be contributing, but I only shared enough information with them for their segments. I wanted the overall panel to be a surprise to as many people as possible, because I truly believed it would have a profound effect on our group. We've all traveled such a distance together, and to be able to turn around at the same moment and look back on how far we've come as a club surely would be something to celebrate that weekend. Before we head to Fishkill, I want to give you a quick overview of the weekend schedule. Most attendees would arrive on Friday afternoon, and after settling in, we'd meet at the ballroom for a pizza dinner and would spend the rest of the evening there. Then on Saturday, attendees would have the option of heading out to a local large flea market. After lunch, we'd return to the hotel for the main event, which was also titled The Annual. The Saturday Annual consisted of a few collector panels, a full-course dinner, and some time for all of us to be together in the same room for a few hours. 
After the annual, we'd clear out the ballroom and set up for room sales, in which collectors could buy, sell, and trade Star Wars figures, prototypes, and other vintage and modern memorabilia. Sunday's itinerary would consist of a trip to see Ron's collection, followed by a boat cruise along the Hudson River. The evening would conclude with a dinner at a restaurant along the shore, and then we'd all head back to the hotel to hang out for the rest of the night. Monday's main event would be a day at Yehuda's house, marking the official end of the annual weekend. So now that you have a general idea of what to expect, let's head back to Labor Day weekend in August of 2019 for the annual, brought to you by the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. Friday, August 30th. I arrived a little after 5 p.m. and pulled into the Comfort Suites Hotel, located off I-84. There's a feeling that comes at the very beginning of these bigger events, where the anticipation mounts in the days and hours leading up, and then, like a thundercloud, strikes against the realization that you are finally sitting in your car in the parking lot, ready to head inside and begin the weekend. The feeling hits hard and quick, a confluence of planning and action finally coming to a head. No matter what it took to get there, whether it was cramming all the necessary tasks at work in the days before and pressing pause on your job until you returned, or traveling through airports or through highway traffic, all of it dissipates and falls at your feet as you exit your car and walk toward the destination you'll call home for the next few days. You feel lighter, younger, more carefree. Your focus shifts completely into the present, because these moments are fresh and exciting, and demand your full attention. For me, vacation had truly begun. Before I left my car, I did what I always do at the start of any trip or event. I prayed for everyone coming to the Comfort Suites Hotel that weekend, for those who worked there, and for the people who lived around the Fishkill area. I asked the Lord to bless our group, and that all of us would have a good time while we were there, and would come away with wonderful memories from the event. I prayed for the architects of the annual, Chris and Steph Riley, Ron Salvatore, and everyone else who had had a hand in bringing this idea to life. As the fading rhythms of work and of the ride upstate slipped from my shoulders, I pulled my suitcases from the trunk of my car and looked up at the hotel awaiting me. The Comfort Suites was a wide, H-shaped building, with the main entrance on the left side. The center of the building was pitched back, and the right side of the building jutted out again. The exterior consisted of a brown and beige brick design, with a solid white section around the door and windows of the side of the building. A mammoth plank-like overhang protruded from the entrance above the doors and below a beige upper wall with cream-colored accents. 
It was held up by four rectangular posts whose deco matched the stone facade. Two small awnings hung over the two lesser entrances on the side and center of the hotel. The Comfort Suites Hotel was an extremely large building, which made sense. In addition to hosting literally hundreds of travelers, it also contained a banquet hall and a full-sized indoor swimming pool. While we would not be using the pool during the weekend, the ballroom would be the place where our group would spend the most time together. After all, the annual team had rented it for Friday night's welcome event, and then we would likely spend the afternoon and evening in the ballroom on Saturday. As I wheeled my suitcases toward the entrance, I scanned the parking lot for any familiar faces. To me, that's really the mark of when a collector's trip becomes official. Seeing a friend, more specifically a Star Wars friend, who is there for the same reason as you, is what pulls the lever and turns something like an ordinary trip to an upstate hotel into the 2019 annual in Fishkill, New York. On many of the trips, I tended to run into other collectors in the hotel lobby. But not this time. The stone and beige wall design carried into the lobby, and I walked across the brushed ivory floor past the royal blue couches with pillows that matched the exterior awnings. Before approaching the front desk, I peeked around the corner, but no one I knew was around. After checking in and grabbing my room key, I followed the manager's instructions and headed up to my room on the elevator. The elevator doors opened, and I could hear a muffled buzz coming from one of the slightly opened rooms down the hall. A tall gentleman in a t-shirt and shorts walked toward me, and I smiled as I recognized him. As he approached me, I extended my hand and introduced myself. It was Richard Hutchinson, a UK collector who had traveled overseas to be here with us. Rich is part of the team behind the long-running Vintage Rebellion podcast, and he is a featured contributor to the website Fanthatracks. In the weeks leading up to the annual, Rich and I recorded a conversation about the Nashville ICCC experience for his podcast, and we really bonded. And Star Wars events have this amazing ability to bring people together, even bridging the gap between those living on two different continents. I asked Rich if any of our friends had arrived yet, and he pointed to a door halfway down the hall and said that a number of them were hanging out in Fonz Napolitano's room. I walked past Fonz's room, and before stopping in, I decided to put my bags and suitcases in my room first. I had never been in a hotel room that large before. In fact, as I dragged my suitcases across the threshold like a disheveled traveler, I stopped suddenly, and my mouth went agape. I figured it had to be a mistake. After all, the room was originally supposed to be for two people, but my friend and fellow collector Kyle Rose was unable to attend the event at the last minute. The room was so big, I seriously thought I had stepped into an upper-floor lobby, or into an executive suite. As the door closed behind me, I noticed that my hotel room was partitioned into two separate larger rooms. The one in which I was currently standing had a bathroom directly to my right, and in front of me was a large television mounted against a sparse beige wall. 
Under the TV was a full-sized rectangular dining table surrounded by four matching chairs. On the cutout wall behind the table was a counter with a microwave on it and a small refrigerator under it. Walking through another door led me into the second half of the hotel room. To my right was a brown L-shaped couch, and on my left was a desk with a second television above it. Two white linen beds with brick red runners covering their lower thirds were framed against the wall along a window facing the parking lot. I dropped off my suitcases and put my backpack down. I could certainly live here for a weekend, I thought to myself. And with that, I grabbed my hotel key and headed into Fonz's room. The first few minutes of seeing your friends again at a meetup is often overwhelming. There are weeks and sometimes months of anticipation that hang in the clouds overhead. And seeing something like 15 people in one hotel room, drinking, talking, and laughing, is enough to bring forth a torrent of joy. Bottles clink. Someone pours a drink for you, taps you on the shoulder, and hands it to you, all while they're finishing part of a conversation with somebody else and then brings you into it. You try to stay focused, to answer the questions about how long it took you to get there and if you hit any traffic on the way up. But your eyes dart around the room, taking in a myriad of faces. The commentary in your head activates, and all of a sudden, it's, oh my gosh, he's here. Wow, I didn't think she'd be able to make this one. I haven't seen this collector in over a year. Friends sneak up behind you, surprise you, and throw their arms around you for a hug and a handshake. When you think back about the interactions with some of your closest friends, there's a very interesting common thread about seeing them again after some time has passed. There's never any awkwardness. It's exciting, and in many ways, effortless. The conversations pick right back up where they left off. What we think is a period at the end of one chapter is really an ellipse, a series of dots that indicate a pause or a wavering in thought. And that's what the end of one meetup is. Just a pause. Three simple dots. Because as soon as we're all together again, we fall right back into the rhythm, and the chapter continues. I found our mini-party's host, Fonz Napolitano, and gave him a hug. Fonz had kindly invited the Empire State Club to his house about four months prior to the annual, for what was dubbed the second FonzCon meetup. He and his wife Katie host a collector's event at their house each year, and they really make it a special and memorable day for their friends. So we stayed in Fonz's room for about an hour or so before venturing downstairs for the official start of the weekend. The elevator doors slowly swept open to reveal a lobby that was bustling with activity. New arrivals were waiting in line to check in, and the ones who already did so were stopping to speak with other collectors. I followed the rest of our group as we walked down a long hallway in the back of the hotel. 
A large indoor pool was behind a windowed wall to our left. Approaching the corridor's halfway point, we walked through the open wooden double doors to our right and made our way into the ballroom. A line formed in front of two long tables to the left of the entranceway. Boxes of pizza were stacked on the tables, and it was nice to see people I had gotten to know over the years back together in the same room again. Here, let me show you around a little bit. By the bar along the right side of the entrance, Fonz Napolitano gives us a quick wave as he talks to Aaron Longbine. At the table in front of us, collectors Mark Vanis, Brock Walker, Tom Derby, and Matt George are in the middle of what we can assume would be a very interesting discussion. Next to them, we catch Brian Emery mid-story with Brian Angel, Gordy Owen, and Tyler and Jacqueline Fedigan. Matthias Rendall gets up from the table behind them and joins Ron Salvatore for a walk across the room. We spent the next few hours together in that ballroom catching up. Pete LaRose had originally told me he wouldn't be able to make the event, but he surprised everyone by showing up on Friday night. It was the weekend of his birthday which made the meetup even more special as we were able to celebrate a dear friend and someone who has turned up incredible and storied Star Wars pieces over the decades. Around midnight, as many of us were still hanging out in the ballroom, someone near the room's entrance shouted. We all turned around to see some of our friends hugging new arrivals. As they finished a short round of hugs, I realized the caravan of travelers coming from the Atlanta area had finally arrived. The four-person group consisted of Justin Haney and his wife Jen Thunders, legendary swag king Narayan Nike, and micro-collector Blake Morgan. Here is Narayan to share with us how he and the rest of the Georgia group arrived there that night. The four of us set out. I believe, you know, it was already uh, night by then, uh, maybe like 9, 10 o'clock at night. And we still had about an hour's drive up to upstate New York um, from the airport. But uh, as soon as we got in, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, a road trip. You know, I think none of us had done a road trip in a while. And, uh, you know, we started blaring the uh, rock and roll music and and just at a, you know, a great, uh, you know, drive up there uh, until we got to the uh, the hotel um, where the annual was going to be held, and you know had a lot of time just to talk on the way up there. And um, of course, I had I knew the New York Westchester area fairly well. I'd worked there, and um, when we got there, uh, I remember uh, we pulled up to the hotel and uh, we saw. Uh, you know, a group of about 10 or 11 Empire Club members, uh, I believe Tom Quinn, uh, Ron, uh, maybe Brian Emery, um, you know, a few other people there. I know uh, Jason Thomas. And they were all smoking cigars on the, you know, the, the, the patio right outside the hotel. And as soon as they saw us pull up, got out of the, uh, the vehicle, they all like came up to us, hey, there's the Georgia group. And they all gave us these big hugs. And you know, it's just 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 a great welcome. Um, not to start that weekend. Uh, of course, we you know we were all pretty tired. I think that was a work day for most of us. So we you know got went from work straight to the airport and then got there. So it was just like uh, I think we'd already missed whatever the pizza party or uh, the initial dinner uh, that night. But it was just great to see everyone and you know you know get those hugs and uh, you know feel very welcome about being there. 
After spending time with the Georgia crew for a bit, I decided to call it a night and head back to my hotel room to go to sleep. In addition to driving up to Fishkill earlier that day, I drove almost two hours north beyond the town to visit my cousin before the collector's weekend began. Plus, I had agreed to meet Pete in the parking lot, along with Mike and Sandra Menziger and Trent and Corey Bailey at 6 a.m. Saturday morning to head to the first planned activity of the day. And if you've ever been on one of these collector trips before, you know how quickly 6 a.m. can come around, especially after a late night. Sleep always comes at a premium on a weekend like this, and is necessary if you want to remain upright through most of it. What I didn't realize at the time was that many of my friends headed to the I-84 diner, located within the same parking lot as our hotel. The diner has been run by the same family for the past 45 years. It is decked out in the silver mirrored trim that has become a staple of classic American diners throughout the country. And at night, a green neon light runs above the diner's windows and along the vertical poles that surround the entranceway. A late-night meal was the perfect way to continue what had already been a successful night, and was also the perfect way to end it. And although I regret missing it, there was one moment I was happy not to witness in person. Our friend, Aaron Longbine, apparently ate plate after plate of the coleslaw that came with our other friend's meals. Aaron devoured each plate of the mayonnaise-smothered side dish as collectors like Ed Nagy became nauseous just watching him. And at that diner, on that very night, Aaron earned the nickname that followed him throughout the weekend and beyond. He became Coleslaw. Here's Narayan, who went over to the diner with Blake for a late-night dinner, which soon transformed into another memorable moment. So Blake and I headed over. Uh, I believe Lee Harris um, from Australia joined us as well. So you know, the three of us got a table in there. And, uh, you know, perfect classic diner, you know, with the, the, uh, the metal, you know, fittings and everything. Uh, you know, classic kind of vintage, uh, you know, artwork and posters and all kinds of memorabilia on the wall. So, you know, something out of basically American graffiti. And um, so we started, we started, you know, ordering, um, ordering food. And then just as he was ordering food, you know, a large group comes in, you know, maybe about 10, 15 people at that point uh, also had just decided you know, that they were going to come, come to the diner and get some late night food as well. And so we decided just to, all get one large table and uh, we moved, you know, to a different area of the restaurant and you know, this huge table, I think like 20 people, you know, f- a lot of the empire group members, but a fair number of uh, uh, out of state people as well. You know, the three of us and just a great feeling to be at the same table, catching up with everybody. Um, and it was, it was a great kind of icebreaker and, and opener to the, the weekend, uh, just to talk to everybody, uh, have dinner together. Um, I remember Chris Riley was there, Ed Nagy, uh, Fonz, um, and, you know, a lot of people that I think met, uh, met for the first time, uh, including uh, Tyler Fedigan, Aaron Longbine, um, you know, Mike Ritter was there. Of course, I knew him, but, you know, good, a, you know, great company. Uh, to be with, um, and 
you know, some great stories exchanged. Um, and I remember at one point, you know, what, Aaron Longbine certainly makes an impression, you know, anytime you meet him, but uh, especially at that dinner where he, you know, demonstrated his uh, coleslaw eating skills um, <laughs> to maximum effect. So, uh, you know, quite, quite, a, uh, uh, quite a memory as we all looked on amazingly as he kept downing pretty much everybody's coleslaw at the table that was getting passed down to him. And he, he was just gobbling it up, you know, like, um, I forget the, uh, the, the winner of the Coney Island, whatever hot dog eating contest, um, you know, just very reminiscent of, you know, uh, you know, he, he, he seemed to be the uh, coleslaw eating, uh, contest champion that night. So, um, but we all, it was, you know, a great, a great way to kick off the weekend. And, um, we all had, you know, lots of laughs, lots of great stories to tell. I think I even passed out some Georgia patches that I'd brought along and um, a really fun, fun uh, way. And again, a very impromptu um, part of the weekend. This is not a planned scheduled type of event. You know, this is just something that a few friends decided to just do on a, on a whim. And uh, we just hung out. And sometimes those are the best parts of a weekend like this where you just, um, you know, you don't plan it and it's just a moment that happens and, you know, suddenly all of a sudden a bunch of people join you and uh, it becomes, you know, a great, uh, a great memory for all of us uh, that take part in it. Saturday, August 31st. My alarm went off at 5 a.m. that morning. It was still mostly dark, and I was still mostly asleep when I slumped out of bed. The lead-up to the actual trip had been a hectic one, as I was racing to finish a big project for work and to tie up any loose ends before leaving for Fishkill. Add in things like packing and completing the script for my panel, and I can honestly say that night's sleep was crucial if I was going to make it through the weekend. It was the first true rest I had that week, and I was so thankful for it. But I was finally here, finally attending a meetup I and so many others had been anticipating for months, and I was determined to make every minute of the weekend count. And the first activity of the day would be a trip to the Stormville Airport Flea Market. Pete LaRose, one of my closest and dearest friends, had arranged this activity for our group. The Stormville Flea Market has been running since 1970. It is one of New York's largest flea markets and is held on an old airstrip in Dutchess County. Hosting more than 600 vendors who come from eight nearby states, you'll find everything from local honey sellers to antiques to home goods and collectibles spanning decades. 
For a collector and market hunter, walking the former airport tarmac can turn up treasures you never thought you'd own. Sheila Carnahan, manager of the event, said, Stormville Flea Market has been a tradition for many that live in the Hudson Valley. We enjoy providing an event that the community and surrounding areas can enjoy. The year before, I stayed with Pete during the weekend of the Stormville Flea Market in June, and it was one of the hottest days of the year. In a wide-open stretch of land with asphalt under your feet and with no trees and no shade in sight, Stormville is certainly not a place to be on a brutally hot day. By one o'clock that afternoon, I was crouching in between cars and drinking an enormous glass of lemonade to cool down. But I had a great time nonetheless. Pete and I both found items that made the hunt worthwhile. Pete bought a few hundred carded and boxed modern Star Wars figures, and I had picked up some store displays for some of the newer films and series, like The Force Awakens and The Clone Wars. So I found myself getting dressed as the sun slowly started to peek out from the sides of the curtains in my hotel room, ready to return to Stormville. And while I expected it to be warm, I knew we were at the end of the summer, where the mornings are always cooler as fall reintroduces itself. I threw on a t-shirt and a long-sleeve red and blue striped shirt over it and shoved a hooded sweatshirt in my bag. I brought along the essentials, money for purchases, sunscreen, a hat and sunglasses, and a few bottles of water, and went downstairs to meet my friends. It was six o'clock and most of the world around us was still asleep. Pete and Mike Bensinger were standing in front of Pete's SUV as it idled, and Mike's wife Sandra waited in the car. Trent and Corey came out after a few minutes and jumped into the back seat. I loaded my car with my bag and some bottles of water and followed Pete out of the parking lot and onto the open road. We'll be in the car for a few minutes, so Pete, please tell us a little more about Stormville and why you chose it to be a destination during the annual. So the reason I chose Stormville uh, was because Stormville's, uh, it's been a local phenomenon for many, many years. Um, I remember going back to the early, mid-90s, going there with my parents, and it was always a huge outdoor flea market that people came from all over the Northeast to go to. Uh, Unfortunately, it has slimmed down over the years, but uh it's just been it's just been legendary over the years of the type of antiques and collectibles that that do turn up so when i found out that the annual was happening the weekend of stormville i thought it would be a a brilliant time for people in our our hobby to to get out and do something other than just sit at the hotel and sleep off a, a hangover or whatever. So uh, my idea was that I was going to go myself anyways and might as well invite some friends and then make everybody else aware of, hey, if you're free, you might as well check it out. So um, it was only probably about 15 minutes down the road from where the annual was taking place. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, for me, it, it just made sense that we should go. So, um, so yeah, that was it. I mean, over the years, Stormville has been, been a godsend for me as far as buying and, and, and even selling at points, but, uh, I don't even remember half the things I've bought and or sold there, but, 
Uh, I mean, there's been some some great finds and some carded Star Wars and vintage toys and um, even some prototype toys I've picked up. Um, some some carded Mego salesman sample Star Trek figures. Um, so yeah, I mean, the finds are are slimmer than they used to be, um, but they used to be very very plentiful. Um, you know, I just I wish we could go back to those days where you'd walk around and like find tons and tons and fill the entire back of the car, but. Those days are, are are long gone, but it's still nice once in a while you find some stuff. Uh, a recent one I actually found um, about two dozen uh, Mars Attacks cards, uh, old sports cards from the the '60s, which are quite valuable. So, uh, but you know, it's I mean, obviously we, we we collect Star Wars in this in this group more. So over the years, I, I've turned up tons and tons of carded Star Wars figures and store displays and oddball store displays and and just just random stuff um carded carded figures loose figures weapons uh vehicles place i mean any, anything you can think of uh no star wars prototypes for say but um i picked up some foreign carded stuff um foreign loose figures so yeah it's it's a wide variety of things that have shown up over the years I was glad I had a long sleeve shirt on. It was still cool as the sun rose from the horizon, and the sky was streaked with pink and orange patches as the clouds shuffled into place. We all parked next to each other. After grabbing our bags and sunglasses, we asked another early attendee if he would kindly take a few photos of our group. We started to walk the nearest aisles of vendors heading left. The last time I was there, I had trouble keeping up with Pete, as he was on a mission to scope out the majority of the tables before other collectors and buyers arrived. This time, our group walked at a leisurely pace, and since the aisles were so wide, we had to cross from one side to the next in order to explore each vendor's setup. So it's about 7.30. Uh, we've been here. This is We're at the Stormville Flea Market. Uh, it's a really large, it's one of the largest flea markets I've ever been to, and it's, uh, it's on an airport runway uh, tarmac, which is really cool. Uh, the weather's been absolutely beautiful. We got here around 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, Mike Mensinger, Sandra Mensinger, Pete LaRose, and Narayan's here as well. Um, Trent and Corey Bailey. They're brother and sister and also boyfriend and girlfriend. Not really. Uh, but they, they're here as well. Uh, so we all got here pretty early. I've been walking around. Everyone's still setting up. Uh, it's coming together nicely, though. Found some odds and ends. But uh, it's just nice to get out, especially as, as something that really starts the, the first day of the annual. Um, it's nice to just be outside in beautiful weather. I think it's about 60 degrees, 65 degrees so far. Hunting with friends who collect is so much fun, and it's one of the unique parts of being toy collectors. We moved as a group, and at times would communicate to each other from one booth to another with clipped calls or gestures. Mike would give a nod, or Pete would point in a specific direction at a table. 
Trent would position himself in front of a vendor booth, holding on to certain items of interest until one of us would join him. We'd examine, compare, search on our phones for similar photos, sometimes buying a few pieces together. We looked out for each other. It was a team game, and we were pretty good at it. Occasionally, one of us would see something in the distance and would cut through the aisle to the next one, and would call another of us with questions. There was always a chance of finding something really special, but it was never the focus. The fact that we were doing this together was the best part. Everything we brought back to the hotel that day would be a bonus. We sifted through bins and baskets of toys. Some loose vintage figures here and there, a few bags of accessories for Star Wars and G.I. Joe figures. We saw some Power of the Force 2 carded figures that had spent a few flea markets in the sun. The cardbacks had faded, and the plastic bubbles holding the figures were turning an amber color. Certain tables can tell you the collective era from which the items existed, and our bread and butter were the ones from the 1980s. There were litters of Cabbage Patch dolls, board games with soft pastel-dipped box covers, and some tables contained a few examples of many of the figure lines that span the decade. We checked tins that rattled and boxes that had been stashed under tables. At times, we'd split up to cover more ground. And sometimes we'd launch into a conversation with the nearest person and would walk absentmindedly from table to table while we talked. At some point, I picked up a loose 12-inch Chewbacca doll that was mistakenly wearing IG-88's bandolier strap. Although I don't collect the large-size action figures, I couldn't pass up that bandolier strap, as it's very hard to find. I paid the seller, thanked her, and tucked the figure inside my backpack. Mike has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to many different toy lines, and he shared a story of a past find when a particular toy on a table would reignite a memory. I mainly stick to collecting new and old Star Wars items, but have developed a deep appreciation for so many other lines from collectors like Mike, Pete, and Trent. It's about 7.45 now, and uh, just walking through. There's a whole section of the Stormville Flea Market that has um, food items, and I'm looking for honey right now. Uh, but it's just it's been really nice to just walk around with Pete, Mike, Sandra, Corey, and Trent. Uh, we ran into Narayan and uh, Rich from the UK is here uh, from the Vintage Rebellion podcast. And um, so he's, he's out hunting as well, too. And this is just one of the most amazing things that, that we, we get to do, you know, where we all come together as a group and we kind of all stay at the same hotel, go to the same places. And, uh, you know, it's just nice. And especially if you're just walking around somewhere and you happen to run into someone that you know that, that's, for me, growing up, that was always special. And uh, so to see uh, collecting friends, it's, it's a nice little, little treat. Um, the sun has now come up and it's, it's getting a little warmer, which is great, but it's still pretty cool. I was here last year and it was about 90 degrees. Uh, it started, the morning started out really cold. Uh, to the point where we, we had to wear hooded sweatshirts and then it just went up to about 90 and, and it stayed at 90 for a long time. Um, so this is much nicer. I think it's only supposed to go up to 70. It's really a beautiful weekend. Uh, the hotel they picked for the annual is beautiful. We, we hung out there last night. 
uh, probably till a little after midnight, at least for me. Um, they have this really cool thing that they do now, some of the members of the Empire State Club, where they make these patches, and uh, they say Midnight Crew on them, and it shows, I, I believe it's a scene, I think it's the most Isley Cantina, um, and uh, it's at night. And the idea is if you stay up and, and kind of hang out until midnight, you get a patch. And they give you a little card. And if you hang out to, until midnight about 10 times, um, every time they, they sign this little card, they kind of punch it. And then once you hit that, you get a, a, a new patch, a special one that has um, a gold trim on it instead of uh, like kind of like a darker gray. And then if you do it, I think, 20 times, uh, you get a platinum patch. Uh, you know, which is just a cool incentive just to hang out and stay out a little longer. And for us as collectors, I, I guess it really proves, like, <laughs> if you make something rare and uh, it's something that you have to either achieve or, or uh, you know, or go for, uh, people will. So, oh, I just found some, some Star Wars stuff, so I'll be back. Later on in the morning, Trent and Corey stopped by the food area for a quick meal. I joined them, and we sat under a large white tent with rows of tables, and talked while they ate. Being in the broad expanse of shade was a welcomed reprieve from the sun. Some of the best moments of any meetup or collecting event are often the ones we don't plan. Sometimes a simple task like stopping by the hotel lobby for a morning cup of coffee is all it takes to open the door to a memorable highlight of the trip. And that's exactly what happened to fellow Empire State Club member Dan Loisel. I don't think I could do the story justice. So Dan, why don't you share how your Saturday morning in Fishkill began? Hi, this is Dan Loisel, and I want to tell my story of my fun experience at the annual. So, it's the morning of the annual, the night before we'd had our uh, opening social, and everybody, you know, hit it pretty hard. So the next morning, I'm an early riser, so I'm downstairs having some coffee, and for me, that was just going to be my only night was the Friday night. I actually had plans, and I could not attend the actual annual event, but I did have some time to hang around on Saturday, but I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And as I'm in the lobby enjoying my coffee, uh, a couple of the guys from the uh, Georgia group walk up to me, and they're like, hey, what are you doing today? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even have a car. I took the train up from the city. I live out on Long Island, so I don't even have a ride. I was planning on Ubering back to the train station later in the day. So they're like, hey, we're going to go to the uh, flea market that we heard about. I'm like, they're like, you want to come along? Sure. So end up hopping in the car. And I think it's like Narayan was there. I think Glenn was there. I think Justin, maybe Blake. Might be missing a couple other people. So I hop in the car with them, head to the flea market. We spend a couple of hours there. We're having a fun time hunting together. Nobody finds anything too crazy, but it's just a really nice experience. And like, I really haven't spent that much time, like, especially one-on-one -on -one with these guys. So it was super nice of them to invite me along. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I can say I did something today. But then we get back in the car, and they're like, hey, um, we contacted JP over at the Imperial Castle, and we're going to uh, swing by his place later. Um, if you want to stay with us, we'll, uh, we're going to stop over there. He's going to open up the shop and uh, let us look around. I'm like, yeah, sure. So next thing I know... They've made those plans. We stop off. We see JP. We spend probably an hour or two at the Imperial Castle. We have a great time there. Get back in the car. 
They're like, ah, we just talked to Pete LaRose. He said we can swing by his place, check his stuff out. So I'm like, all right, I'm along for the ride at this point. I'm having a great time. We end up over at Pete's house. He's an incredible host, invites us all inside. We check out, like, all of the massive collection that he has, plus all of his stock of stuff downstairs that he sells at shows. People are busting out cases left and right. He's like, yeah, feel free to look through everything. People are buying stuff, having a great time. Well, the next thing I know, by the time we're done there, like, it's the afternoon already. Like, I was supposed to go home hours earlier. It was probably like 3 or 4 o'clock by the time we got back to the hotel. But the bottom line was it was one of those, like, awesome experiences that, like, that's what this group's all about. Um, and so, honestly, I ended up becoming best friends with those guys. We were in contact all the time. I'm, you know, an active member of the group with the Georgia Club as well as the Empire State Club, and it was an awesome experience. So I'm very much looking forward to this year's annual. It's going to be awesome. I made sure that I've got the ability to be there for Saturday as well this time, so I can't wait to find out what adventures happen this year. After thoroughly exploring the Stormville Flea Market, we headed over to the Imperial Castle. The Imperial Castle is a toy store owned by collector and fellow Empire State Club member John Paul Ragusa. Located in the nearby town of Pauling, its facade is a deep red brick with white trim and black awnings and a black door. Inside the toy store are aisles stocked with vintage and modern toys. Former Toys R Us Star Wars displays hang above the thin glass cases filled with Star Wars action figures and prototypes. Sunlight flows in through the storefront's windows, making the room more well-lit than most toy shops. Entering the Imperial Castle, we met up with Dan, Narayan, and Gordy Owen. John Paul came out of the back room with a bag of modern prototypes and asked us to take a look at them. And that was one of those moments that only events like Celebration and the Collector Meetups offer. The chance to look through a fresh bag of modern Star Wars prototypes with friends from different parts of the country at a friend's toy shop. Here's Imperial Castle owner, John Paul Ragusa. Hey David, thanks for asking me to contribute to the podcast. My memories of the annual 2019 are a little bit different than most people, I assume, because I didn't get to attend nearly as much as other people because I was running the shop. But some of my favorite moments were probably uh, Saturday morning when a lot of the folks traveled in uh, from another location uh, and got to visit us. And I had prepared for it by bringing in some of the stuff from my collection. I had some neat Star Wars items, but it was really more about meeting people in person for the first time. You know, I grew up under the age of Rebel Scum and, of course, Imperial Gunnery. So I had done a lot of interactions with people that way. But I have only met, at best, maybe five collectors in real life up until that point. So for me, it was interesting to have everybody in the same place and have everybody checking out what we have. Um, and just getting to put voices and, and real people to a lot of the communications I'd had with them previously. So that's probably one of my most fond memories of it.
We spent about an hour or so at the Imperial Castle before heading back to the hotel and to the I-84 diner for lunch. After eating, I returned to the hotel around 1.30 that afternoon. Before heading up to my room to shower, I decided to visit the ballroom to see where the presentations would occur. The Saturday portion of the annual would officially begin in an hour and a half, and I wanted to use that time to make sure my panel would go smoothly. The panel, as I mentioned earlier, would tell the story of the Empire State Club, how it started, and how it grew into a group of dedicated and wonderful members, and really, how it led to the current weekend, celebrated in the ballroom of a Fishkill Hotel. As I made my way down the hall to the ballroom, I could hear the faint swelling of music from behind the walls, and it grew louder the closer I came to the entrance. I stepped through the doorway and was completely taken aback by the scene in front of me. Overnight, the ballroom had transformed from a scattered collection of tables in a nondescript room to an elegant, perfectly themed tribute to the creativity and excitement of an Empire Club celebration. The bar nestled in a carved-out nook along the center of the back wall, with brown and white mosaic tiling as a backdrop. Rows of glasses sat on shelves behind the bar, and the taps were still like soldiers, ready for battle. A playlist of songs by bands like Led Zeppelin and Metallica filled the room, and I could feel the pulse of energy as the planners ran back and forth to finish setting up. The tables were arranged in the middle third of the ballroom, and were dressed with deep black tablecloths. Each table had seven or eight white chairs around it. Black napkins folded in a standing triangle sat in between a set of silver utensils at every seat, and each setting had a white coffee mug and saucer and a glass of ice water next to it. The centerpiece of each table was a black rectangular card on a thin steel stand. On the card was an image of a stormtrooper dressed as a cadet in a crouching fight stance. The stormtrooper was wearing a steel blue jacket with gold trim, white pants, and gold boots. In the stormtrooper's outturned right hand was a bloody bayonet, and in his left hand, curled close to his head, was a long, thin tip of a pole from which a tattered Empire State flag waved. The image was a nod to Iron Maiden's iconic zombie-like mascot, Eddie, and the words, the annual 2019, were written in red with white trim below the stormtrooper in the band's signature style. A stack of posters, individually shrink-wrapped, sat on the tall, narrow wall next to the entrance. The image on the poster was an homage to the first issue of Marvel Comics' Star Wars Annual, in which a helmeted, shadowy Darth Vader, lit in yellow from the front and against a fiery background, reached out toward the reader as if to employ a force choke. The upper section of the poster had the Star Wars logo and the annual title as it appeared on the comic, but the words Empire State Collectors Club were added above and below the logo. That same image hung from the ceiling on two vertical banners on the wall farthest from the entrance. In the center of the banners was a large projection screen hanging from the ceiling, displaying the Empire State's logo found on the poster. 
In front of the screen was a long table, also covered by black tablecloths. It had five or six white chairs behind it and a few microphones on either side. I assumed that section would be where the invited speakers would present their panels. In the areas separating the speaker's dais from the circular dinner tables were three rows of white chairs on the right and left sides of the room, separated by a wide center aisle. Brown curtains hung from either side of the large windows on the wall in front of me, and they were framed by the half-drawn white curtains in the center of each window. Unobtrusive lights hung from recessed cutouts in the ceiling, and the tan wavy lines against the brown carpet on the floor reminded me of a digitally created landscape in the process of rendering. The lines in the carpet seemed to move with the music overhead. After months of anticipation, the annual was finally here, and it had come together beautifully. When Ron noticed me standing at the entrance, he came over to me. He seemed upset that I was in the room, and I immediately understood why. With all of the hard work put into planning the event, he had wanted it to be a surprise for our group, one that everyone would experience at the same time. I explained to him that as the first panelist, I needed to be there to set up the room for the panel, for which a number of club members would be speaking. I had to position the microphones and test the sound to make sure I could deliver what I pictured in my head. Fortunately, sound engineer extraordinaire Chris Porteous was there to help. In the days leading up to the event, Chris and I discussed the equipment needed and how we would set it up. And while he arranged the microphones according to the segments in the script, I sat at the table, tested the sound levels for each microphone, and figured out where each club member would sit. So it is Saturday, and it's about uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. We are about an hour and a half from the annual officially starting. Um, the first panel will be at 4 o'clock, and it's going to be actually my panel, um, the story of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just testing it right now um, as everyone's getting everything ready. Um, so here goes. Tell me if you've heard this old story before. It happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Two would-be heroes who don't see themselves as heroes happened to meet by chance. But we now know it was not by chance. They bond over a galactic connection, they speak the same language, and together they are blessed with a purpose. Through the mysterious force that seems to guide them, they answer its call, having no idea where it will lead them. But it certainly leads them, and over the course of each scene and each act that follows, their story unfolds to be farther reaching than either of them could ever imagine, and they realize they could do more together than they could by themselves. <laughs> That's a start. I knew this panel would be something special, simply because it told the story of how our group came to be. And for the very first time, that story would be told by the members responsible for its success. I figured some of the members had a general idea of the club's formation. But we had been living the story for the past seven years, and when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to zoom out and get a fuller picture of the path taken to that point. There were crucial elements to that slow, careful construction that in some ways we take for granted. Things like people volunteering to host meetups at their homes, or the thoughtful planning behind events like the Empire State Club's table at Star Wars Celebration as a way to open a door for other collectors. 
or delving a little deeper, the foresight to start a club, to make a club flag for the first meetup as a way to make it feel official, as well as the uncertainty many of us shared as to whether we'd be accepted by other members when we first attended. I knew that with this panel, no one had any clue what was awaiting them, and that if I could execute it as I envisioned it, the story of the Empire State Club would bring us all a little closer that weekend. I ran through the script once or twice and noted where each speaker would sit, and what to ask them at various points in the conversation. By imagining it on that dais, I was able to get a truer rhythm of how the panel would unfold, where I needed to be as the host, and how to move each segment into the next. Okay, so I've went through, managed to go through everything for the script so far. It looks like uh, it's going pretty well. We have, uh, it's a table here, it's a black tablecloth, uh, two-tabled setup with a microphone on one end, on a stand, uh, a projector in the middle that's, that's shining the logo of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club uh, on a screen behind us. And then um, on the right-hand side, there is another microphone uh, on a stand. Uh, I currently have a mixer to which everything is, is connected uh, in front of me so I can control the, the volume limits. And then in front of it is a... Uh, is an amplifier, a very small amplifier uh, that that is perfect for this room, which is great. Um, and then there are two beautiful banners uh, hanging on either side of the table uh, behind us uh, from the ceiling, and it has uh, it's the it's the annual uh, cover, the, I guess, of the, the Star Wars comic book um, from probably the 80s, the early early 80s or late 70s, with Darth Vader pointing, and it says the annual behind it. I took this invitation very seriously, not only because it would set the tone for the rest of the evening, but because it served a simple purpose. The panel held a mirror up to the group who would be watching it, highlighting the fact that the Empire State Club's success was due to each person in the audience and on the dais, and that together we had a hand in making something special and meaningful. Once I finished running through the script, I placed it back into a folder in my backpack. Among the peaceful commotion of a group putting the final touches on a room that was quickly coming together, I looked around slowly, trying to capture a snapshot of what I saw. I knelt next to the white knobby chair just out of everyone's view and prayed for everyone who had worked on the event and had sponsored it, who cared enough to give of themselves to make this weekend happen. I prayed for those who would be filling into the room in just over an hour, that the weekend would be a blessing to them, and that they would draw closer to one another as a result of it. And finally, I prayed for the hotel staff and the guests who had no idea that a momentous event was happening a few steps from the lobby, just across from the Olympic-sized swimming pool, all in the name of Star Wars and Collecting. I thank the Lord for allowing me to be a part of this club in this weekend and for giving me the opportunity to experience what our group has added to my life. And I ask that he would keep his hands over all of us and that the weekend would be a memorable time for everyone who had made the trek to Fishkill. Opening my eyes, I glanced at my phone. The time was approaching two o'clock. 
I grabbed my backpack, gave a quick wave to Ron and Chris and Jason and Steph, and headed out the double doors and toward the elevator. Returning to my room, I showered and dressed for the event. I wound up wearing a shirt I brought with me, but hadn't planned to wear for the event. But after the night before and the day up to that point, it felt fitting. Before Celebration Chicago, I made a shirt, which had an image of a series of hand-painted hard copies from the Clone Wars figure line. The image meant a lot to me because it contained a number of the heroes from the series. And to me, it represented what these meetups are all about. Seeing the characters standing boldly next to one another reminded me of the relationships that form at each one. And the fact that at its essence, the Empire State Club and the Annual were built on a closeness that comes from being together. And that red shirt with characters like Anakin, Obi-Wan, Commanders Fox and Cody, and a handful of others came to symbolize the essence of friendship. Throughout the months after Celebration, I wore it to meetups and to events in which it felt right to do so. It became a lucky shirt of sorts, and I wanted to carry that essence of friendship with me to the ballroom, not only as a good luck charm, but as a reminder that this event was created and delivered through love and friendship. And I could not be more excited to see what the afternoon and evening would bring. There's a feeling that comes with finally executing something you've envisioned for a while. It's a feeling where you cross an imaginary border, and when you step onto the other side, the atmosphere around you changes. And that's what happened that afternoon. I rode the elevator down by myself, took a deep breath, and stepped out onto the rising noise around the lobby. As I walked down the hallway, I was conscious of the fact that things were about to change. I didn't know what specifically would be different, but that was the magic of an event like this. That was the magic of the annual. And the main event was about to begin. Stay tuned for part two of the legendary weekend of the 2019 annual from Fishkill, New York. Thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. <laughs> <laughs>